Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Pretty well. Pretty chill weekend here. Uh, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, tonight, I am just drinking a classic martini, uh, three to one ratio. So pretty wet. Uh, do you have it all dirty like you usually do? Yeah, I poured in some, some juice from the, the cocktail. Uh, kicking it old school. Yeah. How about you? Tonight, I am drinking a Bobby Burns. Uh, I think this is like a very old recipe, uh, and it is kind of like a Scottish Manhattan. Got some scotch, some sweet vermouth, and a splash of Benedictine on top. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's quite nice. Very refreshing for uh, this warm evening. What are you drinking, Andrew? Yeah, so I uh, just just got the memo, and uh, I had a protein shake and, and put some tequila in it. Kind of tastes like a, a, a daiquiri, um, but I, I would not recommend it for any listeners. Is it just vanilla or was it strawberry? Yeah, it's or vanilla um, All right. and uh, the tequila is very strong. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we have uh, Andrew uh, Corey is joining us uh, on tonight's show because uh, he's been very gracious to uh, share a bit more about HD mapping and his company Level 5. So I found out about Andrew and Level 5, uh, I think when they sort of came out of uh, announcing what they were doing after Y Combinator, and there was some press and saw the articles and then downloaded the app. And I've probably done, I think I looked last, I did like, I've done like 12 or so trips and we'll get to sort of what those trips are, but just sort of found it super fascinating. And as we've been talking about self-driving, uh, maps and HD mapping has certainly come up in those conversations. And so uh, instead of us just researching it and probably getting a lot wrong, we wanted to bring in someone who actually <laughs> knew a way more about this. And uh, so, Andrew, maybe you could uh, introduce yourself uh, even more. Yeah. So um, my name is Andrew. I'm CEO of Level 5. And uh, what we do is we're making uh, HD maps with computer vision. So um, I'm sure you've heard about a technology called LiDAR, and it's really accurate, and it makes it pretty easy to create uh, these HD maps. Um, but what we decided to do was only use computer vision to make these maps, and that's because we, we want to get uh, really good scale and coverage with the maps. Um, and this is the critical difference between HD, ma HD maps and regular maps, is that HD maps need to be updated all the time. So almost every day you need an update to the map. And so it's not good enough just to have one or two specialized mapping vans that go around your city and map. You need basically everyone mapping all the time. So we crowdsource it with computer vision. Got it. And so we'll get to a lot more of the details, but you started the company with two co-founders. Is that right? Pretty recently? Yep. That's right. So um, I uh, was at Tesla before. Um, me and a, another friend from Tesla who was also on the autopilot team, we left um, kind of were talking about different ideas. We kind of knew we wanted to start something. And uh, one of my best friends actually from middle school also uh, was in this kind of group group chat. And then we finally decided to bite the bullet and um, join Wine Combinator and start the company. Got it. And so uh, I saw you speak in some of the articles about you'd worked on the autopilot team. And obviously you can't go into tons of details about that, but I'm, I'm curious, um, was, uh, was mapping something that you found would have been useful? Like, is this something that would have been useful for Tesla or uh, like you needed it and couldn't find it? Or sort of what was the state of when you were looking around for maps? Because I would guess if, if it, everything was perfect, you wouldn't have needed to start the company. Yeah, exactly. So um, there are basically two main incumbents right now in the, in the mapping industry. And that's a company called Here, 
which was um, basically bought out by the German consortium. So uh, Volkswagen, Mercedes, and I think BMW own here now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's another company called TomTom. So um, these are the two big, big players in the industry right now. Um, But at least when I was looking at their product, I I didn't see enough coverage um, or enough detail in their maps for a real self-driving car. Got it. And so when you guys left, you were the three of you guys, and it's like, okay, why, why did you pick maps of all the things that you could have worked on? And even just sort of focusing on self-driving cars, there's a lot of different components. Uh, why did you guys pick maps as the, the thing you thought was probably the biggest impact? Well, maps is, so, so um, maps isn't really the most sexy thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot more sexy things to work on in self-driving. Um, it's kind of one of those things like simulation where nobody really wants to work on it, but it it has a really good impact for uh, the car in, in that um, if you have access to really good maps, it's like an, a whole nother sensor that um, the car has access to. And if, it's, if it can rely and trust that sensor, then the car can make smart decisions about what to do when it's driving. Right. So safety is sort of one of the the big concerns and just general beliefs for why self-driving cars are going to be important is this stat of, you know, 90 to 95% of accidents potentially and uh, fatalities being reduced if we were able to get the human out of the loop. Uh, But then the question is, well, how do you actually make it safer than a human? And so could you talk a little bit more about that idea that that maps are actually redundancy? Because I think a lot of folks think about, well, if you've got the cameras, the forward-facing cameras, the radar, LIDAR, then you've got redundancy in sensors. But it sounds like you were sort of describing maps as a, as a redundancy. Maybe you could talk about how that actually comes into play. Yeah, exactly. So you can, you can, a great analogy to make is think about when you're driving down your neighborhood, you drive every day, you really understand that road. You know basically how to stop at the stop signs. You know... Um, where all the traffic lights are and you know you know what speed to take the curves versus when you're in a foreign country you really can't see the signs very well and it's hard to know just kind of intuitively what speed to go and and where to stop Um, this is kind of analogous to a self-driving car going down a road so um, early versions of of self-driving think about like lane keep assist on some manufacturers um, they basically have no planning in them. So they're, they're just looking at the lane lines and they use the cameras and they just say, keep me in between these two lane lines. And that's all I'm going to do is, mm-hmm. you know, wherever the lanes go, this is, I'm just going to follow these. And so um, there's a lot of edge cases that this doesn't cover. Um, it, it covers highway, you know, pretty well for the most part, but sometimes it gets pretty scary. And if you have a map, then it, it, it opens up so many more possibilities for, for doing smart things like planning and uh, figuring out how to pass cars and um, not die for exits, all that, all that good stuff. Got it. So one of, the, one of the things that came up as well was this idea that if, to, to your point, if you're just looking, if the, if the car is just looking sort of 50 to 100 meters out and really just sort of trying to stay in between the lanes and trying to have some nice smooth controls for that, but essentially for highway and maybe people are using it on the city streets, but um, with, with a map, you also now have sort of the ability to check what your car is sensing in real time. So if it's looking at uh, a bridge or other sort of obstacles, you have more sort of checks that that's actually what 
it's seeing, right? That you would sort of trust the map that there's an overpass or a bridge or a tunnel and not sort of freak out. Is that also fair to say? Yeah. And so sometimes some sensors can get confused, you know, maybe sunlight will wash something out. Um, But if the, if it has a redundancy, like a map, it can know, um, okay, maybe there isn't a bridge here and maybe I I uh, should really, you know, s- slam on the brakes for something that that might not be there. Right. Um, so could you talk a little bit about why the TomTom and the um, here maps weren't good? Was it? Pr- yeah. What, what were those primary challenges? Because obviously those guys have a lot of money and they're talking all about how they have these super crazy great trucks and vans driving around and they're going to build these amazing HD maps that are, you know, they show lots of crazy videos of. What what are the deficiencies that you guys see in those that you feel like level five is going to be able to solve and maybe is a, a new approach that maybe other OEMs that are being smarter about this might be taking? Yeah, so, so it's it's um, basically all comes down to the update frequency of the maps. And you can have a really great map of 101 and 280, which uh, both TomTom and here do. They have, you know, the best maps of 101 mm-hmm. and 280. But if it's a three-month-old map, it's no good. No, no one will want to use that because um, you know they could have added in new overpasses and new signs and new restrictions. Um, it was one thing back in the early 2000s when they were making the routing maps for GPS because if you made a mistake, at worst, you're going to have to take the wrong exit and go around. But with HD maps and with self-driving cars, if if something's not up to date, let's say a stop sign isn't uh, present in the road or, or a traffic light is missing, um, the car will actually make a mistake and, and the car might go through that traffic light. I think there was a case where Uber's um, self-driving car actually completely botched a traffic light in an intersection and just went straight <laughs> through the traffic light and got caught on camera. Right in front of the MoMA in San Francisco. <laughs> and they got kicked out. Um, so these are these are real problems that are already happening when you only have, you know, on the order of less than 100 cars um, in the city. Imagine when everybody has a self-driving car. If there's no maps, it would just be chaos. Got it. And the maybe you could describe for folks the difference between navigational maps and the type of maps that you're working on and that the self-driving car folks really think about or care about. Right. Um, so there, there are two different types of maps. Um, there's like, you know, the Google Maps, which are basically 2D maps. They help you get from A to B. They tell you what turns to take. And the HD maps, you can think of them as basically a 3D map. So if, you, if you've ever played a video game, um, when you're driving down a road in, in this virtual world, you see all these things like where the road is and where the lane lines are on that road. You, see, you also see all these signs. And these are all present in a digital 3D environment. So you can kind of think of an HD map similar to the maps that you've found in video games for the last 20 years. And so, uh, so HD, uh, just to jump in quickly, does that stand for high definition or does that mean something else? Yep, it's high definition. Okay. They've been co-opted by the visual world. <laughs> yeah. um, I, just want, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> we were joking that um, we saw a, U- a UHD TV at Costco the mm. other day. And so we we're, we're going to rebrand our, our maps UHD maps. <laughs> 4K, 4K maps. maps. <laughs> 8K. Is there a is there a standard um, like mapping format that you're that you're kind of rendering down to, or are you do are you sort of doing your own thing? It's kind of the wild west out there right now. Um, and just to keep our development iterative, we've basically made our own format, and we just will probably adapt that whenever car companies 
um, want to partner with us, we'll adapt that to whatever format they have. It's not, it's not a hard thing to change. That's interesting. So there is no sort of industry standard format or even like RFC spec yet for what not this would be. Not one that everyone's adopted. Got it. So could you talk about your approach? Because I remember when I saw the first articles and you're saying, okay, well, we're not going to run our own truck. So then the question is, where, where is the data going to come from? And you had a really unique approach to how you were going to gather all this data. I was, maybe you could share sort of the origins of that and how that's been going. Sure. So it, when we first started, uh, we had no money. And um, it, we, we were looking at uh, LiDAR as a technology, and it was like $80,000. And plus, there was like a six-month back uh, waiting list um, to, to, to order one of these things. So LiDAR was out of the question, and we all had phones, and, and, and we knew we wanted to crowdsource this. So um, we started making a mobile app. And uh, we have an iPhone app now called Paver that basically is a dash cam and it pays you to drive, hence the name Paver. So it's paving roads um, and it pays you to drive. And we collect all this data, we send it up to our cloud, and then we process it and turn it into HD maps. Yeah, so that's the app I've been using. And I don't know if you even knew that I was using it, but I have been and I have a pseudonym on there. I don't know. It has picked a username. I think I'm on the red team. Uh, awesome. There's some teams. And yeah, I've map, uh, you know, I just mounted it in this little mount on my uh, windscreen. And uh, yeah, you put it in portrait or landscape mode rather. And uh, it's cool because it records it. So if, you know, if for dash cam purposes, if you were to get in a little fender bender, you can tap the screen and it will like record it as a little incident. So it'll keep that full video. Luckily, I haven't needed that. Um, but then what's kind of neat also is it keeps track of like how far you've driven. And then on the map, you can see like where you drive most and where you've driven and how many miles you've discovered. And it's sort of this neat thing where you are actually helping to map wherever you live. And, um, and then you also get paid for it. So I'm, I think halfway to, to earning some money, which is kind of cool. But, uh, for me, I'm just doing it cause it's just kind of neat. Um, and then I get home and I upload the video, but it's really fun actually, because one of the neat things you guys have done is at the end of the drive, it always compresses every drive in the 30 seconds. So you can see your entire drive in 30 seconds. And it's so funny seeing like driving on the highway, just like behind this car for like a few seconds and then shifting lanes. And it makes the driving look so easy and quick and like, oh yeah, totally should have just been a self-driving car doing it. Even though when I was driving, it felt terrible and slow, but <laughs> watching a drive in 30 seconds for 30 miles is really kind of fun. Um, yeah, and we eliminate all the times you're stopped in traffic too. So it, it doesn't, it just feels like you're, you're continuously flying down the road. And you guys went out to people who are Uber and Lyft drivers to try and get them to use the app as a way to seed the customer adoption. Is that right? Yeah. So I actually went to the Uber lot. So there's, there's a cell phone lot at SFO. And then there's like a, a lot that all of the Uber drivers uh, wait at. And, um, I just started going and handing out free mounts to people and, and spreading the word. And people are like, these guys love the app because they had never heard of something that could, you know, pay for half their gas as they're driving along. And plus they get the benefit that if someone, you know, crashes into them, um, they can use it as evidence. <laughs> and when you say mount, do you need a, a special mount for this? Or was that just like a, a swag giveaway kind of thing? It was kind of just like a, you know, free swag thing. Okay. Um, but you, any mount will work. It's just a little suction cup that goes on your window. So how much have you mapped so far? Because you guys have been around for like, what, six months or so since the app's been public, maybe something, something like that? 
Yep. So we're having our one million mile party. Wow. Uh, next Friday, you should come. All right. And uh, so yeah, one million miles, um, and we're we're basically scaling up all over the world pretty soon. Um, so that's about about a million miles in the U.S. And um, pretty soon we'll be uh, opening the app up to every country and letting anyone drive, um, provided that it's legal in your country. <laughs> So it, when you when you have people driving and discovering and, and kind of recording new routes, do you is like one pass through a, a novel route enough or do you need like multiple passes for people in multiple directions or like what's the sort of threshold for it to become uh, super useful if, if that's something you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, the more passes, the better. Um, it, it turns out if we had about three passes in each direction. Um, we can pick out most of the features uh, oh, wow. for that road. So on an intersection, what we'd like to do is have plenty of diversity and perspectives. So one of, the, one of the questions I always get is, do you have to mount the phone a specific way? And the answer is actually, um, yes, it has to point you know, landscape out the window, but it doesn't have to be um, oriented at, in any specific angle. And this is because we want to get the, a, a big diversity of perspectives. You know, we're looking for things like traffic lights and signs. And if we can get them from different angles, it actually helps our algorithms a little bit. That's super cool. So instead of uh, paying $80,000 for a super crazy LiDAR, you pay $80,000 out to regular people and you get way more than you. I mean, you guys driving a million miles with one car probably would have taken years and oh, yeah. done that a lot faster. Yep. That's pretty we cool. We should probably also just, uh, in case, I mean, most of the people listening probably understand this, but LiDAR, uh, we've mentioned it a few times, that's the laser scanning device that's the kind of the, the spinning thing that you see on that weird little hat on top of the uh, self-driving cars that you might have seen around that's doing laser scanning and is crazy expensive. This would be kind of an interesting one. Maybe, uh, Andrew, you could talk about this a little bit. Um, so what you're doing is is generating these maps, and, and you mentioned that like the orientation doesn't quite matter as much, whereas... Um, I think in in what a lot of people have have read about self driving vehicles is more of the um, navigating part or the actual driving part where it does matter like where the cameras are mounted and and it, the car is perceiving its environment and moving through. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the difference uh, between like what you're doing like the mapping stuff versus the sort of driving stuff that that people might have heard about? Yeah, yeah, totally. So when you're when you're you know, let's say you have a car that has lane keeping assist and you're driving down the road. Um, what that car is doing is basically looking at the lane lines and trying to stay in between them. And so if the camera is slightly askew, it's going to um, try and correct for that. Or the, the car is going to try and correct for that. Um, and it might, you know, keep your, your steering wheel turned at a, you know, slightly uh, off angle. So it's really important when you're driving. But when you're creating the maps, you have. Um, the full uh, history of the video, and you're not trying to control a car in real time. So, for example, we can map in the daylight, and then uh, you can use the maps at night because the road doesn't really change that much between day and night. Um, this is the same concept where if the camera is slightly askew, you can still make the map, and then any car that uses the map um, will have to obviously have a very uh, calibrated camera. But um, to create the maps, we have the full history, so we don't need that. So that's that's like sort of a good intro to sort of digging in a little bit to sort of how it works. So uh, if I was, you know, a five-year-old, how would you describe what happens? So I'm, I've got recorded video, and then I go home and sync it to Wi-Fi, 
what happens to then that turning into a map that my car would be able to use when you have a partnership with a car company? Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so I think in order to explain this, um, let me just ask you guys to do a thought experiment, which is try and design a self-driving car right now. And you, you have you know, maybe some sensors available to you, um, but you don't have a map. How would you know what to do, right? So w- when the car is driving down the road, it has no clue where it is. It just kind of goes and it follows the, the lane lines, but um, it, it really has no context of where am I or um, you know, do I take this exit or do I stop at a light? It just kind of follows the lines blindly like a horse. So uh, if we take this back, why is the map necessary and, and what exactly needs to be in this map for self-driving cars to happen? Um, well, think about it. We need lane lines. Um, we need the surface of the road. We need where sidewalks are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need where crosswalks are and every single sign. So the government authorities put the signs on the roads for a reason so that humans look at them and are warned for potential curves and, you know, firehouses that are, that are upcoming. Um, so the, the self-driving car needs the same exact context. And the way that it gets this is from the map. So what we do is from the video that you send us, we look for every single sign, every single traffic light, uh, where the lanes are and where the space you can drive is. And that's called free space. Mm-hmm. So um, we extract all that. And maybe if we only get it from one phone, it's not very accurate. But if we get 10 phones down the same road and they all say this sign is here and, and this lane line is here, then we can start to build a probabilistic model of where these things are. And this, you're also tracking like the video. I'm sorry, the, uh, you're syncing the video and GPS too, right? So you know like where on the earth it is. Exactly. Yeah, that was the, so one of the things Mike and I were doing sort of in for fun ahead of uh, our chat, since we knew we were going to be chatting was this, uh, after seeing some of the screenshots and we'll, we'll include some links to some press that has images of some of the 3d reconstructions of the streets you guys have driven is a sort of structure from motion idea. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what that concept is and how it maybe applies to what you guys are doing or what others might be doing in this area before we talk yeah. about like what, it, what we were able to pull off as total novices? <laughs> sure. It's, it's a little hard to explain with audio because you don't have like a, I'm, I'm going to be moving my hands a lot. You yeah. just can't see them. <laughs> um, but think about it this way. If your car is moving and you're taking a bunch of uh, pictures and you know how far the car has moved, you can do geometry to figure out where the pixels are. Mm. I'm, I'm just going to, that's, that's a, a simple, the simplest way I can put it. So if you, if you think about it like a stereo camera, the way that it finds depth is it has two shutters that are synced and, um, the, and from the, 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 uh, the distance between distance, the two lenses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Between the two lenses, you can use geometry to figure out how far away things are. It's the same thing with structure for motion, except you only have one camera. So you're using the, the amount the car moves to calculate the distance. And I, it sounds like, I mean, it's basically doing what a human can do when they look at a photo, but, but doing it algorithmically over, over multiple photos with the computer. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of folks get hung up on the stereo camera thing and like, oh, well, all these, a lot of these folks are just using cameras in their cars and how could you get depth from a camera and from a single photo, it might be quite difficult. And there are clearly folks who are working on from monocular single frames, but video is there is sequence of time and in a car the other great thing is you sort of know 
the degrees of freedom, right? So you, you kind of know you're going to be moving forward or sideways at some degree, but you're not really moving up and down very much. And, um, you're it's not like really a, moving in a, you know, like weird ellipses or like all these things that, you know, a, a 3D space, you know, a human could sort of move around a 3D space. Like a car has much more structure. And the other interesting thing, too, is that you, you know how big certain things are. Like generally, you know how big a car is. Generally, you know how big a stoplight is. And they're bigger than you think, actually. But anyways, they're like, <laughs> so, so you can sort of use that maybe as a, as a, uh, as a way to guess and sort of have a sense for what are you seeing and validate like, oh, that could be a stop sign. It's not a hundred meters wide. It's half a meter, something like that. Yeah. You can, you can kind of feed it little hints and, um, and then the optimizer will solve for all that stuff. This is, and I think that in, in the natural world too, you, if you've ever noticed a, a pigeon walk around and the way they like bob their heads and stuff, if, if I'm not mistaken, that's because they have their eyes on the sides of their head and by moving their eye around, that's how they detect where things are. And it's kind of a, a similar sort of thing, or they, that's how they detect distance. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's good biology. <laughs> there you go. I actually never, I, I watch, bi- I watch nature and Nova quite a bit. So I yeah. never had to take a biology course in college, some or, or high school, even somehow I totally, I don't know. I just had the physics and chemistry. I never had to take biology. I think it's a hack. I think it, I missed, I missed out on something, but I might've learned that on the internet too. That's like, why it's kind of a, why do pigeons bob their heads when they walk kind of question. (laughs) Might've been in like the Quora digest or something. So it's similar to like the uh, chicken steady cam too. If you've seen that video where the guy moves the chicken around and he keeps his head perfectly still. Oh yeah. Chickens are naturally gimbaled. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The, the folks at, um, what's that robotics? Uh, oh, I can't remember the, the the crazy robotics folks where they Boston Dynamics, Boston Dynamics. They do that too with, uh, some of their robots. It's kind of creepy to see. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so, so you were talking about recognizing things. Uh, so the, the HD map sort of in the end state, you want to end up having where the lane lines are, where the center of the lane is, where all the signs are. So, um, we've talked about neural networks and classic computer vision in the past for like lane detection and potential sign detection. Um, is that, that's sort of what you have to do on this video that's being processed to then say, not only create this sort of interesting looking point cloud, but actually know that that array of three colored lights is a stoplight. Is that? Exactly. So we have about a thousand things that we're detecting in our neural net. Um, and that all, that was all data that we had to train. Yep. So we needed, you know, 15 full-time people, um, who are basically labeling this stuff as it comes in. And, and the great thing about our data collection or our data set is that it's unique and, and it's, and it's diverse from all over the country and all over the world. Right. So you basically, so you got all these video frames from folks who are all over the place and then had those folks do the lab, some other people, uh, those eight people do the labeling of all the classes of things that you wanted and then feed that into the neural network as the training set and the validation. Uh, and now you guys are able to take in my random drive I did today and with very high confidence output all the things that my drive saw is that, and then like build a little map for the 30 miles I drove today. Yeah. You make it sound so easy. (laughs) (laughs) If only, no, that's the, that's the, that's the pitch. That's the, that, but then you guys got to do all the hard work. That's cool. Um, so as, as you're going around and, and generating all this or generating all of these 3D maps and, and you have the backing video for it, um, can you like sort of spin off essentially like a, a street view competitor at the same time? Is, is, could that be like a side effect of the, of the mapping work you're doing? 
We could, but I mean, who would, I mean, Google has that already. And I think the only thing we could offer is just more up-to-date street view. Mm. I don't know who would buy that. <laughs> I, I'm still holding out for real-time street view. That's my dream. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, someday in the future. Just creepy. like watching what people are driving. Um, <laughs> like, or like, oh, what, what, yeah, what is, what is the parking lot full right now? Maybe. Well, for it's the... mostly just, I don't want to go to a restaurant if it's too busy. That's basically my thing is like, there how busy is this, is this place? And, and can I avoid a crowd? That's <laughs> probably a very niche use case. So one of the things I was curious about on the updating side, because you mentioned at the sort of the top of the discussion that updating is critical. And I, I was just driving a street today and they just started doing construction and one of the lanes was taken over. And I was like, oh, man, this really would have been tricky <laughs> for uh, the Tesla I was in before because like the lane lines are totally messed up. And I know I would have had to take over from from driving. How do you think about sort of what wins? Because if you start seeing data that's coming in for construction, for an area you've already mapped, uh, how, do you, how do you think about integrating what's now sort of new data, but it's actually doesn't align with where those lane markings were? And I'm just sort of curious, like, have you gotten to that point yet? Or is that sort of a future problem to solve for integrating yep. new data sets that are rarer? Yeah, so we have gotten to that problem. Mm -hmm. And um, the way that I'm thinking about this right now is, I'm sure you've heard the, the term V2V or vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication. Right. So I'm thinking of our maps, kind of we have, we have a, certain, a few different layers. And one of those layers is basically, let's say you were to drive down that road first and, and no one had, had updated our map to say there's construction here. Um, well, when I go down that road next, I will have some confidence from from just your trip that uh, there's some construction there, and I should and I should watch out. So maybe the car slows down a little bit, um, and then once I go by, I confirm what you just said, and all the future cars will have very high confidence that there's construction there, and they'll they'll end up taking a different route. Um, and this is kind of a a different form of V to V communication that I think um, will be able to uniquely positioned to enable because um, we're, we're going to be this vendor for all car companies, not just, not just one. So um, let's say Tesla's making maps just for themselves. Um, they're, they're not going to be incentivized to share that data with you know, BMW or something. Um, and, and I think if, if every one of the car companies out there takes the same approach, there's going to be a lot of lost information, whereas maps can really be perfect. I mean, there's enough cars that go down every street every day. Mm -hmm that we could know about everything all the time. And um, this is what my company hopes to solve is, is unifying all this data and allowing it to be shared in such a way that no customer's privacy is compromised. So you, I guess, oh, oh, sorry, Mike, I was just going to say. Oh, I was just going to jump in and ask if, if, so does this mean like there's almost like sort of a, a time dimension to your map as well? Like they're almost sort of like 4D maps where it's like, there's a 3D point and then sort of like when the last time it was recorded was and sort of some sort of like, Time temporal, yeah, yeah. It's yes, a I, I never thought of it as 4D, but now I like that. I, I think I'm going to start referring to it. There's your UHD right there. Yeah, exactly. Your USP is 4D. <laughs> we have the time element built in. Yeah, no, but I think that the time dilation thing is super interesting. It's like we, 
we actually, and that's the other thing for the folks who were like, I remember, I saw some folks on the uh, hacker news who were debating you guys and like, well, how is this going to work at night if you can't, because they saw that you guys don't pay for miles at night because the camera sensors don't work so well at night. We, we do, we do, just not as much. Not as much, sorry. And that's actually a great point is, so I, I guess the temporal stuff is already built into the way we collect data. Right. So if, if, if you drive down a road and then five seconds later I drive down the same road, you don't get as many, or I don't get as many points as you just did because you went down the road first. And so we've kind of incentivized the app so that people drive, don't drive the same roads over and over and over again. Yeah. So I guess one of the other, one of the questions I have is why, if it's possible to do this with cameras only, why, why is anyone spending time with super crazy GPS and IMUs and LIDAR why are those guys spending any time doing that? Is, is it, what do you guys know about this that they don't know? It's just really hard to do it with, with just cameras. Okay. And the accuracy is definitely better if you use LiDAR right, right now. Um, but we think we can get to LiDAR level accuracy. So right now our accuracy is about 35 centimeters um, for certain features, knowing where they are on the earth. Um, whereas LiDAR can get down to like two centimeters pretty easily. And I guess the debate really then is, is how much do you need? Mm -hmm. And I would say 35 centimeters is, is right there. I, I think um, it depends where you are, of course, but if you're on the highway, if you're 35 centimeters to the left or the right, um, it doesn't really matter if you see the sign, you know, 0 0.002 seconds before um, you should, right? It, it's, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing where you're kind of splitting hairs if you're trying to get down to two centimeters. And are the cell phones today with their GPS quality and IMU quality and the APIs you have available to you, uh, are you happy with those? Or do you still see improvements where, you know, maybe the iPhone 8 will have the dual cameras and have access to both simultaneously? Are there still improvements to commodity hardware that you guys would take advantage of? Or Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for the iPhone 8. And um, we'll definitely be playing with that and trying to get uh, trying to eke out every last bit of performance we can from, from those new phones. One of the sort of last things, or one of the other sort of things I was super curious about was on the localization part in the car. Cause we talked about, okay, now you have a map that's got the features. Um, oh, sorry. On the map side, uh, is it absolute coordinate system or a relative coordinate system to the map segments or how, how does the car or yeah, what is the, what are sort of the units in the map? I guess is maybe the most clear question. <laughs> okay, so it's a it's a local coordinate system, and what that means is that um, so so we have numbers for latitude and longitude, um, and and I guess we've all accepted that to mean a certain thing, right? But intrinsically, the earth the Earth is moving a few centimeters um, from from the satellites every year. And, and so you're never going to have a constant point on Earth that's always going to be the same lat long. So it's not a great idea to pin something to a, a constant lat long. Um, it also makes our job easier because we can create local maps on the phone, and then everybody sends up their local maps. And we don't have to worry so much about our GPS on the phone not being that great because um, we're making local maps uh, and then combining all the local maps together. So does that mean, so basically, if I was just thinking about this totally layman, when I'm driving and I've driven somewhere before, like my hometown, uh, I don't need to know what the lat long is of that place. When I start seeing the blue check deli 
and exactly. the Sam Ash music store, I kind of know where I am. And if I don't see that, I know I'm in a different part of town and I'm like, oh, Sam Ash, I know this street turns left here and whatever. And when I go and visit and I haven't been there a long time, I kind of forget how things work. But then I see some landmarks I know. Is that sort of why the relative works? And is that what the computer is doing too? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And that's a great analogy. I, I wish I had been so eloquent to, to, to explain it like that. Basically, what it's doing is it's doing that, but on a much more granular scale. So it's looking at all the signs and saying, okay, with respect to these three signs, I'm, you know, a few, a few meters away from, from all of them. Yeah, that's the cra- that's the really cool part for me. And so you, basically, it's like, okay, where am I in the earth? And like GPS coordinate general, like the correct, uh, you know, not getting out to the second level. Um, like, where am I? Cool. Download the map I need for this general area. And now I'm looking and I'm seeing this sign and this road and this bridge. And that sort of creates this fingerprint, right? And like that, now I know where I am in the map. And now I can predict where I'm going to be in 15 seconds because I know the trajectory and the heading like that. It's so cool to imagine that's possible with just a camera, like cameras in people's dashboards, like as the source material. And it's, it's Mike and I were just doing some weird structure from motion tests. Like I went down Palo Alto and took some photos of some houses and uh, probably a couple hundred photos and shared some little screenshots on Twitter and like it made this crazy good point cloud where you could see like the car parked out in front and you could manipulate it in 3D and it was just from these photos and Mike took some of a old Victorian and it's like crazy it took a ton of processing power so I'm really I mean <laughs> I, to to do this for a million miles has got to be a very large AWS bill but I mean that's awesome <laughs> yeah it's 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 a really fun problem we love working on it and um we are hiring engineers so uh, and anybody who's <laughs> listening and, and wants to join our team, um, just a shameless plug for that. What kind of, uh, experience do you think would, would lend itself to, to working well in this area? Computer vision is our, is our, um, bread and butter. So anybody who's worked in computer vision before. So I was just wondering, um, you mentioned like the sort of breadth of the, of the areas that you're covering, um, which is obviously, you know, the, the more areas you cover, the better, but then there's also this idea of, um, in talking about self-driving vehicles that maybe it might start in certain areas, like sort of geofenced areas, like maybe, for example, the city limits of San Francisco might be self-driving only or something. And, and you yeah. know, only self-driving cars would be in there. Um, is that something where you're are you concentrating on on any sort of areas and, and getting more dense results uh, from areas in, in certain municipalities? I mean, or even working with municipalities and like putting them on the city of San Francisco vehicles and, and, and creating San Francisco maps from there. Or I guess that's like three questions at once, but um, <laughs> is, is, is that sort of a, a direction that makes sense to you? Yeah. So, so I'll start with, are we focusing on any specific areas? Uh, we are, I mean, so we have our ground truth in a couple different cities. Um, and, and, and so we, we kind of focus on trying to collect a lot of data in like San Francisco and Detroit and, um, in some other cities, I'm not, I won't mention, but, um, I think that, that having a geofence self-driving car is kind of lame. It's like, you know, the, the Muni or, or your, your local subway can, can do that. I think, I think it would be, it'd be well, awesome. Maybe not the Muni, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're basically paving tracks and you can only use your self-driving car on those tracks, but wouldn't it be awesome if anybody could pave tracks just by using paver and, and then they can drive self-driving cars down their, you know, private driveway or something. 
And is the in uh, in terms of where you guys want to go? So creating the maps is great, and that's important. But then you have to find partners and get inside cars. So I don't think you guys want to build your own car. Is that correct? <laughs> I think that's outside the scope right, right. now. Right. <laughs> so, so then you have these maps and you have to get them inside of cars. So how are you thinking about that problem? Is it like build a demo vehicle that proves the maps work or how, how do these actually start impacting self-driving cars? Or- so what we'll do is we're going to make an open source package that can, can use our maps and localize the car. Um, in our map, and and if we if we do that, I think it's it's super compelling for every car company to rather than spend hundreds of engineering or thousands of engineering hours making that localization package, they can just drop it in and guarantee and be guaranteed to have up to date maps. So you're basically going to build sort of a an API by the by the drink for localizing the car. Exactly. So I know that Mobilize trying to approach this uh, with their REM, which is so funny every time I think of it, I think of going to sleep. Um, (laughs) What do you have to say about what Mobileye is doing? Since they they seem to be taking a crowdsource approach, at least uh, in comparison to here and and those guys. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on on their approach to this problem. Yeah, I think Mobileye is great. Um, A lot of smart people working there. But the way that we're approaching this is is using the video that that comes directly from from phones mm-hmm. and, and and any any camera that's deployed in a car and um mobile is basically really advertising their small footprint and um wh- one of the downsides from that is that you can't really get these beautiful um really hd maps you can kind of get a coarse idea of where like a a stop sign is but you can't really get a good model of an intersection or um, be confident where all the lanes are. Um, so, so I think what we're doing is, is going to be much more powerful and much more compelling for anything after level two autonomy. Right. Cause I remember watching some of the videos with, with their CEO and it sounds like they're, they're using their IQ chips to actually do the, uh, object detection on the car. And then they send up the compressed, uh, compilation essentially to their system but it, that's a very lossy thing because they can't run it again, where you guys seem to be getting higher resolution video data uh, and basically betting on bandwidth being increasingly cheap, where they've pushed the processing to the car, which has limited improvement vectors. Is that fair? Yep, that's fair. Cool. So when yeah, that do- seems a lot more advantageous to have the originals there. So as you tweak your algorithms, you're not just dealing with derived data. Right. So if, if we change our algorithm, we actually run it on all million miles um, just to see how it performed compared to another algorithm. So, you know, the way this would work with a mobile eye or another, you know, on edge deployment is you'd have to actually deploy that software to the cars, wait a couple months and then get those results back. Whereas we have all the raw data and we can just re-simulate it on, on all that stuff and make a lot of progress really quickly. And in the case of mobile eye, it's not even a couple months. It's waiting for another vehicle program to be released which is probably three or four years from the time your engineers are done to pushing it to actually getting out into production which seems pretty or in their case they're baking it into the asics their chips which is like whoa that's a that's a pretty long development cycle um (laughs) you have to have a lot of confidence in your algorithm there yeah yeah so a lot of respect for them there for for 
you know, having that much confidence in, in what they're deploying. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a tough, tough, uh, tough engineering thing. So when are we going to be driving and self-driving cars? Like you've spent way more time on this <laughs> when, like, what is your, what is your best sense for how this is going to happen? Like maybe just focus on San Francisco cause we're greedy and we're kind of in the San Francisco area. Like what, what do you see as this progression over the next 12 months, the next 24 months? What do you, what is your sort of 85% confidence interval for what we're going to see? What are people going to see possible or actually happening? Well, first we have to get everybody using paver (laughs) and then we'll get maps of everywhere. Can you, can you spell that out too? It's P-A-Y-V-E-R. Okay. Because it pays. And it's in the apps, both app stores, right? Android and... It's just iOS. Oh, just iOS. Okay. I like that it's got two puns in it, that, that, that it's a double pun. I like that. My, my dad actually made up the name. So it is a dad joke. <laughs> nice. Um, right in my I, I would say uh, we've got some time before we can have full autonomy, but there's going to be ride sharing services end of next year. Mm-hmm. And then what about on the OEM vehicles? Is highway hands off fully? Is that, is that something you think requires maps? I think it should in order to be safe, but as other companies have have proven, um, you know, we can ship things and, and deal with the consequences as they come. And when can I get my self-driving Winnebago? <laughs> 2090. Uh, I'll be dead by then. Well, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's this whole, like, maybe I'll get a blood boy or something. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Who knows? We don't need to go into what that is. Um, <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Really appreciate your time and uh, edifying us and our listeners on on the HD Maps. And um, so what what's the website if people want to learn more or apply for a job uh, with you guys? So the website for the app is getpaver.com. And our um, company website is level5lvl5.ai. And oh, cool. can you uh, just clarify what does Level 5 uh, mean? Why is your company called Level 5? Oh, so it's um, it's a, a tribute to the uh, SAE um, designation for full autonomy, which is there's there's several different levels of autonomy. Um, and level five is basically you can drive any weather um, hands off and, and not paying attention. So you're aiming for the end zone. Exactly. Excellent. Yes. Thanks, guys. This was really fun. No, thank you. And um, if anyone wants to uh, get in touch with us, where can they do that? What, Mike? Oh, this is me. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can uh, reach us as usual uh, on Twitter at the Tesla show. Our website is the And we are on Reddit at r slash the Tesla show. And if you are planning to buy an S or an X, you can use the referral code from the Tesla geeks who are friends of ours in the uh, show notes and uh, get a thousand bucks and free supercharging for life. So with that, uh, talk to you later, Mike. And thanks again, Andrew, for uh, for joining us. Yeah, I'm going to go good. download this paver app and uh, start start logging some miles. I've already been paving. I'm just, my feature request is I really want to see my contributions to the self-driving world. I'm not sure how many people are downloading it for the self-driving helping part versus the money part, but hopefully after this episode, there'll be a lot more people who just want to help make really good maps. So that's that's my feature request. Something to see how I've helped make the maps. That's, that's what I'm, I want to see. I'm on it. I, right. and, and we're super open to feature requests. So just keep sending them. That's cool. All right. Talk to you guys later. All right. Bye. Take care.